I don't normally get nervous talking in front of people, but I don't have any teenagers. You know, I got a, I have an 11 and a 9-year-old, you know, so I, I was thinking all week, you know, gosh, I don't really have any, uh, you know, any stories. I don't have any, uh, you know, things that I've done throughout their teenage years like someone that was older. So this morning I took Callie to um, breakfast. So I'm sitting there with her at Cracker Barrel where she likes to go, and we sit at, normally go to Cracker Barrel every Saturday with her. So the two of us are sitting there and said, hey, Callie, uh, to turn to John chapter 14. Can I tell you my, uh, my theology, at least the big picture theology is this. I believe that marriage, the relationship between a man and a woman, is a type and shadow of our relationship with God in heaven for eternity. I really believe the bride of Christ is a wedding in heaven. It seems like that there's this joining of the body, the head of Christ, and the bride of Christ, of which we're a part as believers. That marriage typically is, uh, is, is a type and shadow of eternity. I believe parenting is more uh, accurately a reflection of God's relationship with us on the earth. God right now wants to be dad to us. Now, he will become husband, but right now he's dad. He's parenting us. And if you know, if you can, if you can see through that lens of what God's trying to do with us as individuals, as it relates to what we're trying to do with our kids, you'll see some interesting parallels throughout Scripture of how the Father in heaven disciplines those that he loves. He corrects those that he loves. He, he's a Father that cares for us, surrounds us, puts us in the palm of his hands. We, there's a sense of feeling safe and secure because he is Dad in heaven, right? That we're in the palm of his hand and nothing can snatch us from the palm of his hand. So I feel like I'm being parented by the, the perfect parent right now. That's my, the way I view God. That's my view of God right now. I'm the son. He's the dad. He's the perfect parent. And he has the perfect plan for me until I die. And then when I get to heaven, there's going to be this great wedding, and I'm going to become the bride of Christ in heaven. That's what I believe about that Scripture says to me. Let me ask you a question. What, what type of person do you think makes the best parent? Because this really gets down to the heart of the issue that I'm going to talk about this morning. What type of person makes the best parent? Do you think uh, an emotionally stable, spiritually mature, passionate follower of Christ makes the best parent? I do too. Thank you. That, that was not a trick question. Do you think an emotionally mature, spiritually passionate follower of Christ, somebody that is full of God's Spirit, in love with Jesus, is the bank's the best parent. That's true. And let me just say this to you. This, uh, Pastor David's job would be the easiest in America if that were true. Unfortunately, that's not true. What happens is, is that kids get brought up in a home, a, a home of, uh, of parents who are not, are not really emotionally mature. And by the way, here's a good book. If you're really struggling with this idea of emotional maturity, I'm reading this book, and it's, called, it's completely secular, but it's got fascinating insight. It's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I just read it. And it talks about how grown-ups, us as adults, can take advantage of our emotions instead of letting our emotions wreck us and cause constant train wrecks in our lives, how we can actually harness the anger that we sometimes struggle with and actually turn it into something that is positive. And so it's a, it is a, it's a book about psychology, it's a book about emotions, but I found it to be really insightful. And I don't know if the authors of the book are followers or not, but they seem like they've got some kingdom insight that, that's throughout the book. That's, and so I want you to consider that if you're wrestling with some unhealthy emotions in your own life. Well, let's turn to John chapter 14 and and in this passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus is talking about his dad. Jesus is talking about not only about 
his relationship to God, but what that means for us. I love John chapter 14. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And he says, uh, and there's a lot that he says here, and I'm only going to point out a few things, but it's worthy of you going back and reading through again. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's interesting, isn't it? That if we love God, we'll do what he says. And by the way, your kids, the reason they obey you is because they love you. It's not because they're afraid of you. The best parents are those who have called their kids into real covenant relationship, calling them into, into obedience out of love and covenant, not out of fear and intimidation. Fear and intimidation works for a season. The rules without relationship will always end up in rebellion. Jesus says rules with relationship will end up in covenant. Rules without relationship will end up in rebellion. So if you're trying to intimidate your children into obeying you, let me just say they will obey you for a season as long as you can hold the consequences to a high enough level to intimidate them. But at some point they will rebel against you and you will lose the relationship. This is why God, Jesus, this is amazing what Jesus just said as it relates to parents. Right? I want you to, we're going to read this whole passage of Scripture. I want you to read it as if you are looking for parenting tips. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I'll, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. By the way, parents, your kids should not be able to get away with anything. We're spirit-filled people. I'm honest. I, I've told Abraham McCall, you have no chance of getting away with And you may get away with it for a day or two, but Dad is a spirit-filled Christ follower, and God tells me everything. I am a friend of God. He tells me his secrets and your secrets. <laughs> I don't say it quite like that, but I do believe that. <laughs> so the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him. Jesus said, you know him. You're going to know the Holy Spirit. You're going to be, you're going to be familiar with the Holy Spirit. He said, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because, listen to this, because I live, you also will live. And on that day, on that day, it could be today, by the way, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Well, let's, let's stop there for a minute because that that's huge. He says, on that day, you're going to realize that I am in my Father. In other words, there is an irrevocable covenant between God the Father and Christ. It is irrevocable. That's good news, all right? But what does that mean to me? He says, and you are in me. You have chosen to be Christ followers, in other words. And then he says the third thing, and I am in you. So parents, let me just say this to you. I know from experience to some degree that raising kids can seem like jumping out of an airplane. You've got one chance to get it right. And, and I know it feels like you're... You're doing some things right, and you don't know what you're doing right, you don't even know what you're doing wrong, but you're trying to do the best you can, and, and you're flailing, and you're hoping the, the net comes out, and you're hoping everybody lands to the ground safely. That's what your first jump out of an airplane probably feels like. Personally, I don't believe you should jump out of a perfectly good airplane, but I'm not going to try that. But as parenting, you know this, it feels, like, it feels like you're falling to the ground flailing, hoping it works out at the end. And then about the time you figure some good things out, they're in college, they're gone. Trying, they're choosing mates by that point. And you, you hope, you pray that you did everything you knew to do well. I mean, it's really at the end, you just hope some of it stuck. You hope you were a sticky parent. And it says, well, whoever has my commands and obey them, he's the one who loves me. 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. All right, this is, this is important for us as parents today to know that we are working with a stack deck. We are working with all of God living in us. We are not only full of Christ, but we, he has sent the Holy Spirit to us. We're not orphans in this adventure, are we? We have all the tools that we need to do this well. And see, I believe most of you came here today, and here was the question you were asking. Tell me what's wrong with them, and tell me how I can fix them. Because when I come to these events, that's what I expect to hear. Tell me what's wrong with them, and tell me how to fix them. Well, I'm going I'm to share that with you today, but it's going to be different than what you expected. I believe uh, the better parenting question is this. What's wrong with me, and how can I fix me? I believe, uh, I believe this sincerely. You can only give away what you have. You cannot impart something to your kids unless you're living it out in your own heart. In fact, I'll, I'll confess, I was, I was kind of peeking around a couple of times during worship. I was wanting to see what the crowd I was with today. I was wondering, I said, if we expect our kids to be passionate worshipers of God, people of prayer, I wonder if I'm with a group of passionate worshipers this morning. Chances are, 20 years from now, your kids will look a lot like you sitting out in a crowd. They're going to be pretty accurately reflected by who you are. Let me ask you a question. This is really important. Pam and I talk about this a lot. How many of you made an inner vow as a kid that you would not be like your mom or your dad? <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, maybe many of you had great parents, but there were things about your parents... One or two, maybe, just, maybe you just had one or two things. Maybe you had a list of things, double-page, single-spaced. But how many of you said, I'm never going to act like that? Come on, one more time. Let me hear your confession. It's good for the soul. All right. Now, how many of you, 20 years after making that vow, are acting like your parents? I know. Pam and I talk about this all the time. We, we said we wouldn't do that. Then how did it happen, and how did all of a sudden, after we made these strong inner vows and we were determined not to do the things our parents told us, we were, that we were, didn't want to you know, be like our parents, we ended up being like our parents? So a lot for the good, because Pam and I both have very good parents. My parents were married 42 years, and I'm grateful that my mom and dad demonstrated covenant. Their marriage was not always easy. They, all, they, they went through a lot of tough times, and Pam and I, this August, will be married 21 years, so we're halfway there to meeting what we, my mom and dad did. Pam's parents have been married uh, 40-something years. I forget, 42 or 43 years. They, and so we're both from uh, homes where mom and dad stayed married. We're both from homes where we heard about Jesus, where we were t- taken to church. We're both uh, from homes where our dads were very hardworking and very honest. They, they were, my, my, my dad was a hardworking guy. He was the, one, of the, one of the few honest used car salesmen. That's what he did. He was extreme honest to a fault. That's, and so I, there's a lot of great things that I take back from my parents, a lot of the blessings. But I also believe that, that I also had to wrestle through some things that were handed down to me. And I, I've said this before. I came from the Deep South. I mean, it was a, even if you go there today, if an African-American man was dating a white girl in the town where I was raised, they would have to leave that town probably under duress, even today. It's just not acceptable in my, in my hometown. And, and so I, I understand racism, bigotry, understand poverty, what that does to you. If it gets into your psyche and your soul, where you, you feel like that poor is what you're called to be and that you're never going to be amount to much. So I, there's some things that from my culture, not necessarily from my parents, 
that I had to be, get free from if I was going to be who God called me to be. I, I, I believe this has proven to be true, and many, many studies have proven this to be true. And the reason I'm bringing this up today because, is because children from pagan or passionate homes have the best chance of being pa- uh, passionate Christ followers. A very small percentage of kids who came from lukewarm homes ever make it. The best chance to this morning for your child to end up being a passionate Christ follower is for you to either be a complete pagan or to be passionate for Jesus. If you are living a lukewarm life, you are doing your child more harm than being a complete pagan. Well, and I, and I, I, this lady once told me she was living in a, a very sinful lifestyle, a, a lifestyle that would be impossible to prove in Scripture was right. So I'm not judging her on the basis of her salvation to God. I'm, ju- I'm, I'm simply evaluating her behavior. But her, what she would say to me if I were to ask her, and I know this lady, I know of this lady, she said, but all my kids are baptized. But she's saying one thing and living another, and I look at her kids and I go, I, I, it breaks my heart because it'd be, it would be better if she would just renounce Christ and just go live out her lifestyle the way she wants, or if she would completely give her life to Christ, it's the best chance for her kids. But to stay where she is, it says it's a train wreck ahead. And as a pastor who meets with people all the time, I can predict train wrecks pretty accurately. So I'm here this morning to call you, not to paganism. <laughs> I'm not offering that. I'm here to call myself and you to a more passionate life. If we're going to ask our kids to live the vow, which I love the vow, I want to live the vow. The best chance for Abram and Callie living that vow, for me and Pam to live that vow. Which means I've got to, at some point, deal with some stuff. At some point, Brady and Pam have to deal with some stuff, because here is the honest truth. If Brady and Pam does not deal with it, Abram and Callie will have to deal with it. Somebody, at some point, is going to have to deal with it. Where do you get that? I'm going to show this to you in Exodus chapter 20, okay? Exodus 20, verse 5. Now, this is, uh, this is the covenant of God that he's giving to the children of Israel after he's released them from Egypt. He saved them, then gave them a covenant. The same as in the New Testament. He saved us, then gave us a covenant. Covenant doesn't save us. Covenant tells us how we should live. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Well, that sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? Our innocent children? Our kids who had nothing to do with it? Well, why can't God just punish those who did it? And leave the kids alone. Because God's not talking about his nature. God's talking about the nature of the enemy. I want you to be very clear here today when we read this. This is not God revealing his nature. This is God warning us of the nature of the enemy. The enemy does not play fair. The enemy doesn't want to leave your kids alone. That's why sin at its core is rotten. That's why it brings death. God's not saying that, that he, he's saying this is the nature of the enemy. He says, and, but listen to this, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. A thousand, verses three, 
I'll take the thousand. Here's the bad news. The impact of sin is multi-generational. Here's the good news. The impact of righteousness is multi-generational. The bad news is the impact of sin is multi-generational. The good news is the impact of righteousness is multi-generational. So here we are today as parents, all messed up. Some of us from the 80s, some from the 70s, a few from the 60s. You know what I was watching last night? This is kind of carnal, but I'm, we're all adults, most of us. I was watching the one-hit wonders of the 80s on VH1 last night. And I watched like 60 songs, and I knew 58 of them. And I was, I was, I was watching it. I was just watching it. I don't know why I got drawn into that. But it was fascinating how almost every time one of those songs came up, a memory came with it. Some of them not great. And I, it, it was, it, then afterwards I went, man, I'm speaking tomorrow on parenting from the inside out. And I realized last night, there's some memories I need to deal with. Some things that, just from my past, I was a bad guy in the 80s. The 80s are, I don't remember a lot of the 80s, but I, but I was not a good guy. I was not a good man in most of the 80s. And then God saved me, despite that. And so, I want to take you to a story in Genesis that starts with Abraham. And I want to give you some, this is going to end in a good way today, because I want to really give you some tools today. I want to take you through a, a, a family that we all know very well in Scripture. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You know those characters? And this family, obviously, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all four of those men had an amazing impact on who we are today. Abraham was the father of our faith, right? Isaac was the, the promised one. Jacob, the son, gave birth to 12 sons. Joseph, the redeemer, the one who saved his people in the time of drought. So here we are, these four men. We all know the good stories about them, right? Have you ever thought about the generational curses, though, that were passed down to those four men? There's a story about Abraham, and apparently Sarah was quite the hottie. She's cutie, good-looking wife. And on two different times, a foreign king noticed Abraham's wife, Sarah, and instead of Abraham defending his wife and risking his life, he told the king that that was his sister. And I can't imagine this, allowing some man to take Pam into his harem while I stood outside the door telling people that was my sister. I think I'd risk death. I would defend Pam. But Abraham did not either lack the moral courage or the man courage to do either one and lied twice about Sarah being his wife. Notice that the promise that God had given Abraham and Sarah had not been fulfilled at this point. They did not have Isaac as a son. And he was willing to give up the promises of God for his own safety. So he lied, and Sarah was taken into a harem. Well, that's bad enough, but a lot of people don't realize that Isaac, the son, did the same thing about Rebecca. We know the Scripture says Rebecca was a very attractive woman. And the son, when another king noticed Rebecca, here's what Isaac said. Isaac said, they'll kill me if they find out that's my wife. She's my sister. So here's the son visiting the sins of dad. Again, the same thing. 
And I bet Isaac growing up said, Dad, how in the world could you have done that to my mom? I mean, that's crazy. And I bet, I bet when Isaac and Rebecca were alone, Isaac would say, I'm never going to be like my dad. Don't you worry. I'm going to be better than my dad. But suddenly, when faced with the same thing, he lied about Rebecca. All right, fast forward. Here's Jacob. <laughs> Isaac now is an old man. Jacob and Esau were born. Jacob comes creeping into his sick dad's house one night and lies to his dad. Abraham lied about Sarah. Isaac lies about Rebekah. Jacob lies to Isaac about his identity and gets the inheritance instead of Esau. Well, Jacob gives birth to a bunch of boys. One of them, Joseph, the little one, the youngest. <laughs> and these boys had been, something had been passed down to them. So they lied. They sell their little brother to slavery and go back and tell their dad that a wild beast had killed their little brother. All of them were in on it to some degree. We don't know really whose idea it was up front, but all of them were in buying in on this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the sons of Jacob. And then we come to Joseph. And Joseph, as you know, went from the pit to the prison, to the palace. He ends up right where God wants him at the right time, there to save the children of Israel from a devastating drought. He ends up the right-hand man of the king over all the treasuries of the kingdom, all the food and resources of the kingdom at his disposal because he had this plan. And then he has this opportunity for revenge. One day he looks and there stands his brothers, the ones who had betrayed him, the ones who had wished him death, are standing there now with an open hand asking for help. And the moment of decision comes to Joseph. Will I continue these family curses or will I draw a line in the sand today? Now let's read the story, okay? Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. It was a lie. These guys were still lying. They were born liars and they had not gotten over it. And this is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. They just make this whole thing up. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. Remember the original vision of Joseph years earlier when he came out to the field? Which was very unwise of Joseph to share the dream. He was very prideful, very arrogant. Hey, you know what, guys? I'm the youngest, but I saw it a dream last night that all of y'all were going to bow down and worship me. Isn't that great? I can tell you what I'd done to my little brother, too. I'd... They did more than that, though. And then listen to what he says. We are your slaves, they said, but not verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I love this, verse 21. So then, don't be afraid. 
I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So this is where it gets good. And, this is, and we know from this point on, you know what happened? You read the rest of the story in Genesis? The king of Egypt invited the entire nation of Israel to come live in the richest country in the world. And they turned into slaves about 400 years later, and God had to deliver them. But at this point in the story, it's a good thing that that happened. They needed the king of Egypt. And because Joseph had wrestled with these issues in his heart, the whole country was saved. Abraham lied. Isaac lied. Jacob lied. All of Jacob's brothers lied. But not Joseph. I mean, all of Joseph's brothers lied, but not Joseph. He, he wrestled with something in his heart. Notice it, it's three generations. And he stopped it. So I, I believe this in my own heart, that there are things, even this week, you know, and, and I've, there are things that I, I wrestled with that I feel like I've done. I've gone through this, this, this thing that I'm about to ask you to do. I've done this many, many times. You know, I've dealt with the past. I have renounced the past. I have submitted my past to God many, many times. And, it, and I, felt, I have felt a supernatural release of that thing. I have felt those things break off of me. But then from time to time, some of those things will kind of surface again for whatever reason. I'm not theologically astute enough to figure out why I'm to come back sometimes. Probably from my, there's something to do with me. I guarantee that. It's not God. It's probably me. But from time to time, those things, thoughts, attitudes will resurface and I have to wrestle them to the ground again and put them, draw a line, another line in the sand. So I think this is a, a lifetime of us living from the inside out, recognizing what's going on in our own, in our own heart. I, I, I just know this. I would rather deal with it than Abram and Callie. Uh, see, I have, a double, I have a double issue, actually, because Abram and Callie are adopted. And while I know Abram's mom and Callie's mom, I don't know their families. We met them just for a few months before we adopted them. They weren't like lifelong friends. We met them, we adopted the babies, and we haven't had really very little relationship with them since because the adoption is closed. So I remember for, I can, hundreds of times, Pam and I have prayed over Abram and Callie to break any curses that came with them and, but release all the blessings that came with them. Lord, we pray all those blessings from their family, their heirs, their grandmothers and great-grandmothers and all the... Lord, we pray for those blessings to follow them and chase them down, but in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the issues that may come with them that were harmful. So not only am I praying for their families, I'm praying for what I'm giving them. So really, I feel bad for Abram and Callie. You know, they're the ones that got stuck with two sets of parents. But I'm asking God to break all the bad stuff off so that when, they, when they're adults, they'll look back and say, Damn, my life is just much different than my mom and dad's in a good way. Pam and I are great, you know, and they, I think they're pretty blessed to be in our home. I think we're pretty decent parents. But I just want them to look back and go, we took another step. We stepped out further than our mom and dad. I want to make it easy for that to happen, don't you? I don't want anything in their, their, their trunk. I don't want to weigh them down with some excess baggage. I'd rather them come into adulthood, into their own mature relationship with God with no junk in the trunk. Travel light. 
And kids will either come into maturity one or two ways. They'll be weighed down by something that they should not be weighed down with. and Have to deal and wrestle with stuff. Or they'll be traveling light. Able to run past us in a heartbeat. You, ever, you know that, that scene in um, a scene at Forrest Gump? You know, with a girl that... Jen A, you know, Jen A. As an adult, you know, she was an abused little girl. There's a scene at the end of the movie where they go back to that house where she was abused and she picks up the rocks and throws it at the house over and over again and then she can't find any more rocks. And Forrest Gump, in all his wisdom, says, sometimes there are just not enough rocks. <laughs> I don't want Avery McCallie to run out of rocks. I don't want them to have anything to throw at. Wouldn't that be great if your kids had nothing to throw at, no house to throw at, no bad memories to deal with, no stuff? Just traveling light. I can tell you that in this room, we have, there's enough parents in this room influencing enough kids in our city that if just the kids represented in this room would be released to travel light into adulthood, they would put a dent in the universe before they're dead. Do you believe that? I want, now here's, here's, here's what I know, I know what you're thinking of first, gosh, I got to deal with that, and I want you to, if there's something that you need to get control of in your heart, let, wrestle with it, because don't pass it down, give it to your kids, but I, I got some better news for you today, I want to leave you with this thought too, what blessings are you going to give them, because I've got news for you, you're doing better than you think. You're here this morning. I mean, obviously, you want, there's something about you that says, I want to do everything I can to help my kids. So I'm going to get up on a Saturday morning when I don't have ten things I should be doing right now, and I'm going to hopefully hear something that's going to help me. You're going to pass down more blessings than you think. So this morning, I want to do two things. I want us to deal with anything that might be a hindrance to our kids but I also want to take off of you this morning any condemnation, any false guilt that the enemy's put on you. He doesn't want you to believe the second part of that verse. He wants to convince you of the first part, that all your curses are going to get passed down, but he wants to disqualify the second part of that scripture as much as he can. A thousand to three. That's a lot of blessings getting passed down, isn't it? That's a lot of people getting affected by something good you're doing. You think about that, if that's true. and I mean, that may be figurative. I think it's literal. A thousand generations. People being influenced. I am being influenced right now by something somebody did, and I won't meet them till heaven. Somebody that prayed the prayer. Father, for all the generations that are going to follow me, may you raise up men and women who will love you with all their hearts. Maybe that prayer was prayed two or three hundred years ago and God remembered some man or woman praying that prayer and I'm birthed. That blessing follows me, chases me down, overtakes me because of some blessing that somebody released into my path. So what are you going to release today? What blessing do you want to release today? When, you're, when you get to heaven a hundred thousand years from now and what is it that's going to be said about you? 
heritage, legacy. You know, the older we get, the more we think about heritage and legacy, don't we? What are we leaving behind? What are we passing forward? We spend the first half of our life accumulating resources for ourselves, and we typically spend the second half of our lives trying to give it away and impact people, do something good with it. I want to do something good with it. It was I, I, I'm, I, am, I am right now living with blessings that I, don't, I didn't get myself. Someone gave them to me. I'm living under a shade tree that I did not plant, tend, or water. But I'm living under it. And I'm planting some seeds out in the field for somebody else to have a tree later in life to sit under. A big shade tree that they didn't plant, they didn't tend, they didn't water. But they'll have a tree. Like the one I'm under. That's what I'm talking about. We pray this morning. Would you just take a moment right now? We're all family. This is a church family, and the Holy Spirit is with us. There's a really strong presence of the Lord here this morning. From the moment I walked in, I knew God was here to do something in our hearts, in my heart. If for no one else, I'm glad I'm here today. Just to have a moment right here with God where I confess that maybe there's some things that I want to just give back to Christ today and put under the blood of Christ. This is, this is the great thing about the New Covenant age. We don't have to run out of here and make a sacrifice to cover some sins. That's been done for us. The cross. So can let's go to the cross this morning. Could you picture yourself this morning at the cross, right at, at the foot of the cross? And could you, whatever, I've been to the two places that are historically there's two places that people think Jesus may have been crucified. I've been at both places, and when I was there, I just was, I just wanted to see myself there that day because so much happened on my behalf that day. So much happened for Brady that day that I hadn't quite gotten over that yet. So what do we need to lay down there today? Confess. And then, and then what is it that you want to send ahead? What is it about you that's good that you want to send forward? Do you want to just speak it? I, I think you ought to just speak it right now. And I think it's good. We're not here to impress ourselves, but I think it's, it's okay in church to say, Lord, I'm, you have blessed me with, the, with fill in the blank. You have blessed me with this, this, this belief, mostly beliefs. I believe this. So, Lord, I pass that on to my kids. Pass on the spirit of generosity. Pass on the passion for your presence. Pass on my love for the word of God to my kids. My heart for the poor. I pass it on to my kids. My commitment to the covenant of marriage, I pass that on to my children. My wholehearted devotion to Christ, I pass that on to my kids. And Lord, I take authority today over sin and unbelief and lust of the flesh and works of the flesh, patterns of behavior that tend to repeat itself in me. I break those things today and I place it at the foot of the cross and ask, Lord, that your blood cover that and break its stronghold over me, that I would be free to travel light and that my kids would be free to travel light. Lord, help me today to, pa to be to pastor my home from the inside out, to parent my children 
from the inside out. Let me be keenly aware this morning of what's happening in my heart, my mind, and my soul so that I can always travel light and not be hindered again by the sin that so easily entangles us. But let me run today the race with perseverance for the prize that's set before me. Let me, Lord, pursue Christ and Christ alone. Let us today not be worshipers of mammon, but let us be lovers of Christ. For a thousand generations, Lord, I pray today that they would receive the blessings that you have passed on to me. Freely I have received and freely I pass them on. Thank you today that the strongholds are broken, that the blessings are moving ahead. That the strongholds end today, that the blessings move forward. And I speak that over our kids today. The strongholds have ended, the curses are over, and the blessings are moving ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.